This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Jones retains. Usman dominates. Askren wins controversially. The Johnny Walker train rolls on. Zabit goes from prospect to contender. And we are joined by UFC Wichita headliner Derek Lewis, as well as former Team Alpha Male head coach Justin Buckles, who discusses what went wrong with Cody Garbrandt at UFC 235, where he lost to Pedro Munoz by knockout in the very first round. Thanks for those listening to us live on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. And to those who subscribe to the podcast, please tell your friends, family, and neighbors to subscribe as well. Awesome. Great week. UFC 235 delivered and then some. I really enjoyed that card. That was a fun fight week. Whenever you have a John Jones fight weekend, there's no controversy. That's always a good time. I like that. John looked great. He looked great against Anthony Smith. I should mention, by the way, Joe is not here, unfortunately, with me, but... Let's talk UFC 235. As mentioned, Jones, really a masterclass performance. 48-44 across the board. The only reason it was 48 is because he had two points deducted due to an illegal knee in the fourth round. Anthony Smith could have said, oh, I can't continue and won a title. Instead, he is a man of honor. Tells the ref he's good to go. Continues. Unfortunately, loses every round, including uh, an 8-8 round, which was the round where he uh, took an illegal strike. But... uh, this is really um, quite a masterclass from John. If you look at the amount of significant strikes he landed versus the amount that he absorbed, he actually landed double the, the amount of significant strikes that Anthony Smith threw in the fight. Not just not landed, threw. So Jones puts it on Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith, interestingly enough, after the fight, comes out and says, this is a beatable opponent. I just didn't show up tonight. I feel like I can beat John Jones down the line. Usually people are pretty you know, defeated when they lose to John Jones. I mean, of course, he was defeated by John Jones, but he, he didn't seem like he felt defeated. He felt like he had learned something from it, and that's always refreshing to see. And a lot of people thought Anthony Smith was going to get finished in this fight. Nobody really thought this would go five rounds. Anthony Smith really showed up for this fight, and he should be very proud of his performance because uh, even though Jones really had a, a clean sweep on him and, and, you know, looked like the far superior fighter, Smith hung in there, didn't get stopped, was never in any real serious trouble in the fight. So uh, kudos to Anthony Smith, who uh, really did a good job in that fight against John Jones, uh, at least showing his durability and showing that uh, he wasn't going to get stopped. Co-main event, Kamaru Usman versus Tyron Woodley. This was the surprise of the night for me. I knew Usman had what it took to beat Woodley. I thought he'd be able to put volume on him, frustrate him, and, uh, and win rounds kind of, you know, in a, by a, a small margin. Instead, he dominates Tyron Woodley. None of the rounds were close. Tyron Woodley didn't show up for a moment of that fight. And uh, Usman just absolutely obliterated Woodley in that fight. Uh, Woodley never looked like he stood a chance. Looked like it was over as soon as the third round started because Usman was just having his way with him. So you've really got to uh, hand it to Kamaru Usman, the new welterweight champion of the world. And uh, he's going to look like a tough guy to stop. And the, uh, the next person that's going to have a chance to stop him is going to be none other than Colby Covington, who stayed true to his nickname, Chaos, out in Las Vegas and just caused all kinds of chaos. He landed on Wednesday night. I went and spoke with him, met with him, did an interview with him about what he was planning on doing over the course of his uh, time in Las Vegas. And um, he said he wasn't planning on going to the event. It was very, very busy. Well, he stayed busy. He was busy interrupting the open workouts. He was busy tracking down Dana White at the Palms. He was busy on event night showing up. Got a ticket. Dan Lambert said, you got to come down here. We want you here. Comes down. Dana White in the middle of the fight comes up to him and says, you're next, kid. Go backstage, do some interviews. 
Now, kudos to the uh, UFC staff for being able to get Col- uh, Kobe, uh, sorry, Colby Covington. Cody Garbrandt is still distracting me. Colby, Cody, Kobe. There's too many of these names that sound alike. But Colby Covington gets taken to the back. I was backstage there with uh, with Berlo Komodo for ESPN, as well as uh, Evie Rodriguez, who covers it for uh, Kambach, the UFC, for Kambach Globo. And um, they brought Colby back when Ben Askren was back there. Now, Ben Askren is probably the, the, the least threatening person for Colby Covington in terms of a physical altercation, because I feel like if John Jones is back there, or Woodley, or Usman, really any of those, those three, somebody's going to be coming after Colby. Even Anthony Smith doesn't like Colby Covington. And Colby Covington called him out. So I think Askren is probably the safest person for him. Maybe not from a, a verbal standpoint, from, but at least from a physical standpoint. You know, Colby, he, he yelled at Colby, uh, something to Colby, and Colby says... Why don't you win a fight in the UFC before you talk? And Ben goes, I just did that, dum-dum. And uh, Askren goes, no, it was the referee. The referee gave you that fight. And I think a lot of people would agree with that sentiment. Because, uh, listen, I can be hard on Herb Dean or any referee, but that's a tough one. That's a tough, tough call to make. And yeah, Lawler gave him the thumbs up. But when you're in there in the cage and you feel like a guy's oxygen is being restricted and he could die (laughs) or pass out or whatever... You're breaking that fight up. You know, Rogan and Cruz, they, they were both cage side. They're like, he's out, he's out, he's out. And they had a good vantage point. So in hindsight, to go back and, uh, and look back at the replay and say, oh, that was a bad call. Sure. I mean, in hindsight, sure, in retrospect. But I think Herb Dean's priority isn't, you know, his reputation. It's making sure that the, the fighter's safe. And Herb acknowledged that it was a mistake afterwards and Lawler stood up and got in his face a little bit. Now, much to Robbie Lawler's credit, right afterwards he said, listen, Herb, it's, you know, it was a mistake. You're a great ref. These things happen. I mean, it cost him $100,000. but and, then, and I think that makes it all the more impressive as to what his reaction was. But you're fired up in there. I mean, this is, this is a cage fight. This isn't a you know, game of darts or mini golf. And he was fired up, and he got into Herb's face a little bit and then calmly, like quickly calmed down and said, listen, it, it happens, it happens. And Herp was, Herp was, to his credit, was taking accountability for it. He was like, listen, man, I just I didn't see your thumb, thumb up. I, I grabbed your hand. It looked like your arm went limp. But, uh, yeah, so Colby's in the back. Him and Askren are kind of chirping at each other, and security goes up to Askren and says, listen, just calm down. They had done that to Colby a couple times during the night as well, from what I understand, is they had said to Colby, like, you know, pipe down a little bit. Apparently Colby was getting into it with Todd Gurley's team. <laughs> you know, that's what he said to Ariel Hawani. But, you know, whenever you're wearing a Make America Great Again hat, you're, you're always in, you're going to be in, in people's crossfires when you're in the audience at a big event. You know, there are some people that don't really agree with that standpoint on politics. And I think it's probably the majority. So you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there by wearing that hat in public. But, yeah, Colby Covington can hold his own. He's a championship contender right now. But still, you never know. If you're watching the fight, some guy can sucker punch you. Who knows? But he was being uh, pretty brash at cage side. You could really see him. He stuck out like a sore thumb. But uh, he's next for Kamru Usman, and that's going to be a tough matchup for him because Usman's very similar to Colby Covington. That's where it's going to be interesting. I- I'm interested to see if the skills offset. Or, you know, both of them are good volume strikers. Both of them are, are really good wrestlers. We'll just see who shows up that night. I mean, it might just come down to that. Woodley, unfortunately, did not show up. I think he'll be the first to admit that. His team will admit that, and uh, that was tough to see because Tyron Woodley's been so dominant, and he has never gotten dominated like that in a fight, ever. That was a lopsided beating for five rounds. 
and Usman looked looked phenomenal. Woodley looked terrible. And uh, I don't know what it's going to take to get Woodley back into the title mix, but, you know, currently age 36, turning 37 in about a month. And, uh, you know, that's going to be at 37. It's hard to get into the title mix at any division. And even though he's the former champion, he's going to need a win or two to get back into that mix. And given how he handled himself while he was the champion, although I think that that narrative is a little bit played out, given the fact that he was a fairly active champion, he did take a, a, a long time off for a torn labrum, but torn labrum's no joke. You can't just get in there with a torn labrum um, without any sort of ramifications. So, you know, i got to say, I think that looking at what Woodley's accomplished, he was a phenomenal champion. And to see him go down like that, it was difficult to watch especially if you're a supporter of Tyron Woodley's. And I like Tyron Woodley a lot. I really do. I think that he's a, he's a really difficult fighter to beat. And for Usman to beat him like that, he should be very, very proud of his performance. And I'm sure he is, and I'm sure his team is. The first OG champion, really, from the Black Zillions and uh, Combat Club. His daughter was on hand. Just a, a great night for Usman. And backstage, he's, he take, it's him taking a picture. It's his, his, his agent, his... Uh, sorry, his manager, rather, his brother... The Nigerian Nightmare, Christian Okoye, the original Nigerian Nightmare, was there to, to be in the picture. Francis Naganu was there, the first African champion. To celebrate with a fellow African in Francis, who came up short of the title last year in January. Just a great picture. His brother, One of his other brothers was there, I believe. So uh, the team Usman was uh, was just on cloud nine in the back, and they they rightfully should be because Usman put on a dominant performance and did it with a fractured foot, to make matters worse, for Tyron Woodley and how that looks after the fight. Wow, what a dominant performance! I'm still blown away by it. I still can't believe it. I can't believe we saw Tyron Woodley get handed a beating like that. Shocking. You know, it would have been less shocking if Usman one punch KO'd him, and Usman's not even a guy with that much KO power. That would have been less shocking than what we saw because Usman just completely tooled him. Unbelievable. Ben Askren, Robbie Lawler, as I mentioned, a very, very controversial finish. Crazy, crazy first round. Lawler lifts Ben Askren up over his head onto his shoulders and dumps him. Starts pounding on him. I thought the fight was over right there. I was interviewing Pedro Munoz at the time. I said, oh, it looks like Ben Askren's going to get handed his first loss as a professional. Next thing I know, I'm looking up and Askren's got Lawler in that bulldog choke and ends up winning by, by a technical submission. Although... In, in retrospect, Lawler was still with it. And I kept saying this, and I still I stand by it. You don't see bulldog chokes get successfully applied at that high level of MMA where you're going to get a submission. You just don't. And people were, were getting upset with me when I said, if you think Robbie Lawler is going to go out to a bulldog choke, you don't know Robbie Lawler. And a lot of people said, oh, well, he was going to go out. His life's going Maybe, maybe. I might be wrong. But the bulldog choke, and that was a tight bulldog choke, I'll tell you that. That might be the tightest bulldog joke I've ever seen. Askren was torquing on him. And I mentioned it to Askren in the interview. He goes, hey, didn't you see me break those watermelons in the past? The guy's got a, a hell of a grip. But uh, you just don't see that sort of thing very often. Where a guy's getting a bulldog choke locked in that tight. But... Uh, yeah, Dana White said afterwards that they're going to run it back. Uh, I don't know. It seemed like that was an unpopular opinion based on uh, when I reported that. and People were saying that they didn't think it was necessary and they want to see Askren fight Darren Till. But I think they should run it back. I think it was a fun fight. I think there's still questions to be answered. I know it's not the best fight for Askren because he can't really promote it as well as he could in another fight. So I think him versus Darren Till is probably a better fight from a promotional standpoint. Maybe they'll look at that. 
I know Askren's going down to London to be a guest fighter. But uh, yeah, man, Askren beats Robbie Lawler first round. Pretty unreal. Zhong Velay beats Tisha Torres. And if you're asking me why I pronounced her name that way, that's because that's how it's pronounced. In Asia, in a lot of different Asian countries, you put the last name first and the first uh, and the first name last. So Yao Ming's real name is Ming Yao. So Weili Zhang, as she's known, is actually Zhong Velay. And I got that clarification from her team. And she's uh, she defeats Tisha Torres, a huge win for her. She showed a lot of strength. She was taking Tisha Torres down. She was outstriking her. That was really a great performance because Tisha Torres, I think, from here on out, is going to be the true test for gate. You know, the true gatekeeper of that division. Before uh, Zhang, her last three wins, or sorry, her last her last three losses rather were against Rosnami Yunus. Actually, I think she beat Rosnami Yunus. Her losses were to Andraj, yeah, Rosnami Yunus, and Yohannes uh, Yunjacek, and she does have a win previously over Rosnami Yunus. That's why I was getting confused. But those are her losses. Rose, Andraj, and Yunjacek, the top three women in the division. So that's a great feather in the cap of uh, Weili Zhang to try to prove that she is going to be a contender in the division. Tija Torres is a great litmus test, and that's what I said it was going into that fight. So kudos to her. Last fight on the main card, Pedro Munoz knocking out Cody Garbrandt. First round, eight seconds left in the first round. And uh, later on, I'll have Justin Buckles on, and he's going to talk about that particular one because we've seen Cody in three fights in a row get knocked out in this exact same fashion. Pretty, pretty incredible turn of events for a guy that a lot of people, I think, believed was going to be one of the faces of the UFC in the future. And I like Cody a lot. I really do. I think Cody is a, he's really matured. He's become a father. And I didn't think he was capable of this kind of savagery, so to speak, as Cody Garbrandt calls it. He says, he says I'm still going to be that savage in there. But I didn't think he was still capable of doing that. I didn't think that he was going to want to stand and trade with anybody in that fashion. And if you said, who's, got a, who's the more powerful striker, Cody Garbrandt or Pedro Munoz, I, I'm going to have to say Garbrandt 10 times out of 10. But when you ask who has the better chin, that question was answered on uh, Saturday night. And Garbrandt said it's all stemmed from a, a headbutt. It looked like Munoz took quite the... Uh, yeah, he had to get stitched up pretty badly in the back of his head as well. So there was a, a headbutt at some point. Who knows who was worse on the receiving end? I mean, Cody argues that he went into autopilot after that headbutt. But, I mean, yeah, three fights in a row, losing in that exact same fashion. And uh, Justin Buckles was his coach when uh, he defeated Dominic Cruz. He was his head coach. And then he was a coach of Cody Garbrandt's Muay Thai coach or something of that nature when he fought TJ Dillashaw the first time and lost. And since then, he hasn't really been with Team Alpha Male much. Um, he, he, they parted ways early, I believe it was last year. And uh, Justin Buckles talks about kind of what has gone wrong with Team Alpha Male since then. And, I mean, it's pretty clear there's only really one person at Alpha Male right now that's doing well, and that's Cynthia Calvillo, who Justin still corners. I think the only person that Justin's still really cornering these days in the UFC. And uh, I don't know if that's a coincidence. You can chalk it up to coincidence or whatever you want. But those are the facts. The facts are that since Justin Buckles has left Team Alpha Male, that the team has taken a bit of a nosedive. And it's unfortunate. Chad Mendez has retired. Darren Elkins has lost two in a row. Cody Garbrandt just lost his second straight fight without uh, Buckles in his corner. So, I mean, say what you will, but... uh, 
I don't know what the common the common denominator there seems to be that Justin Buckles is no longer with the team. In the preliminary card, main event of the prelims, Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Jeremy Stevens. He defeats Jeremy Stevens three rounds, uh, wins th- two of the three rounds against Stevens, 29-28 on all cards. Solid showing for Magomed Sharapov. Beating Jeremy Stevens is no e- easy feat. I don't know how impressive he was. Uh, you know, I don't know if people say this guy, oh, this guy needs to fight for the title. I still think that there's a couple more wins he needs before he gets there, but not that many. You know, you can't say he's now the top prospect in the UFC. He's now a top contender in the division. You can't call this guy a prospect anymore. I'd still love to see that Yair Rodriguez fight come to fruition. I think that would be a good one. He's not going to fight Edgar and Aldo and Volkanovski. It looked like they're going to be going head to head at UFC 237. So, uh, what you, you know, uh, Moicano makes a lot of sense. I like Zabit versus Moicano. I think that's a good fight. So, I would say either Rodriguez or Moicano next for Zabit would make a lot of sense. And then, of course, there's Edgar. So maybe you do Edgar versus Moicano. Edgar versus uh, Yair has already happened, so no reason to do that. So that could be a nice uh, a nice way of making it work out. You do Yair versus uh, Zabit, and you do Edgar going head-to-head with Moicano. Clean up the division while we have Aldo and Volkanovski there, and uh, the title's kind of hanging in the balance because we need to wait and see what exactly happens with um, Max Holloway, who's going to be facing Dustin Poirier in the main event of UFC 236 for the interim lightweight title. Also in the prelims, Johnny Walker against Misha Serkinov. 36 seconds of the first round. Walker lands a crazy flying knee, finishes with punches, gets the win, and then does the worm, which results in a dislocated shoulder. So he actually hurt himself more than his opponent did over the course of the fight. Over the course of Walker's three UFC fights, he's landed 11 significant strikes and absorbed five. In three fights, his total case time is roughly like, I think it's three minutes or so over the course of those three fights. Pretty unbelievable. First three fights of the career of Johnny Walker. Looking like a phenomenal, phenomenal prospect at light heavyweight. I feel really bad, though, for Misha Serkinov because it was very difficult by his own admission to focus entirely on this fight with what his wife's going through. His wife uh, has been diagnosed with, with breast cancer. She's in the hospital in Toronto recovering, still undergoing chemotherapy. Very, very hard for him to focus on the task at hand when you have something like that going on in your life. I don't care who you are. And Misha's as mentally tough as they come. Had yet to lose when training in Las Vegas. His second fight under the Extreme Couture banner in Las Vegas and uh, it gets stopped pretty easily, pretty short, in short fashion by Walker. His corner looked like they were about to throw the towel, which is what a good corner does if you don't think your fighter's going to be able to survive what he was uh, getting hit with. So best wishes to Misha. I wish him well. I wish his wife, Brittany, well. And I hope that uh, everything works out for them because this is a very, very difficult time in their lives. And uh, I like Misha a lot as a person. You know, when you cover the sport, you get to uh, to, to know a lot of the people in the sport and uh, you get to, to like them as people. Um, you try not to get too close to the people you cover. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that is the case with me, but I do uh, I do have a pretty close relationship with Misha in terms of uh, the people that I cover in the sport. I think he's just a very nice guy, a very thoughtful guy. And uh, I wish him well. You know, my wife doesn't watch any combat sports. She doesn't. She doesn't like it. And it's not her. Not her. Not her taste. Um, and one time she walked into a room and I was watching a post-fight interview. I think it was Misha after he beat Patrick Cummins, and he was making his speech. And uh, my wife said, "Are all the fighters this classy? Are they all this thoughtful?" And I said, "You know, some of them are, but Misha really stands out in that regard." So 
kudos to Misha. And that's really the ultimate compliment because my wife is complimenting anything that has to do with combat sports. She's probably doing something right. Uh, Cody Stamen versus Alejandro Perez. Close fight, but uh, Stamen walks away with the unanimous decision. He wants to get back into that bantamweight mix. Spoke to him after the fight. He, he really thinks that he's really unhappy with the way that TJ Dillashaw's handled himself since losing to Henry Cejudo. I think she'd take that loss. You know, it might not have been the best stoppage, but you got to handle it a little bit better. And he felt that the stoppage was, wasn't was a bad stoppage. So uh, that was an interesting from Cody Stamen. And then the uh, enigma that is Diego Sanchez gets his first stoppage in over 11 years against Mickey Gall. 3,900-plus days since his last stoppage. He loved that stat when I told it to him, and he's, he says that he really enjoyed getting that, that stoppage win over Mickey Gall. Also gave us a crash course in Wim Hof breathing, which I think you should check out if you haven't seen our interview, tsn.ca slash UFC. That guy's an interesting fellow, to say the least. Um, and then we'll, we'll breeze through this uh, the, the fight pass prelims because they ended two of them ended pretty quickly. Edmund Shabazian wins in Ronda Rousey-like fashion with Travis Brown elbows. The first person that in the UFC that is managed by Ronda Rousey, 38 seconds in the first round, dispatches of Charles Bird. Macy Chase on a first-round finish as well against Gina Mazzani. She's going to be a problem at bantamweight as she gets better. I mean, right now, I think she still has some holes in her game, but as she improves, she's going to be something, something to somebody to watch, really, in that bantamweight division. Not too difficult to get into the title mix, and I think she's going to be able to get there by the end of the year if she can keep fighting like that. Trains at a good gym in Fortis, has great, huge size for the division, and very well-rounded skills. Uh, the first fight of the night, Hannah Cyphers with the... Uh, the biggest upset on the card, I believe, for the win over Pollyanna Vienna. Split decision win. Very, very close fight, and where not a whole lot happened. So that's uh, UFC 235. An enjoyable card. And uh, I think that we did learn a lot from that card. I think John, John, uh, John Jones versus Tiago Santos makes a lot of sense for the next fight of the light heavyweight, and that might happen at UFC 237 if they're still looking for a main event. And if John really does want to stay active. Fights in about two months' time. And uh, him versus Santos would be a really, really good fight to be a main event there. I think Santos, the power of Santos just is one of those things you can just never underestimate. He can knock knock anybody out at any time. I don't think he's as good of a fighter as John Jones by any means, but I do think he's a, a more powerful striker than John Jones. I think he's a more powerful striker than most people in the UFC. I don't think that's a knock on Jones. That kind of power is just, you know, all the questions that John Jones will get asked that week is, oh, how, what are you going to do to offset his power, his power, his power? Similar to when he was going to fight... Anthony Johnson. But uh, Tiago Santos is uh, he's a monster. Maheta. There was also Tiago Monster Santos. Remember that guy in Bellator? Former heavyweight. Fought a, on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I think lost in one of the elimination rounds. But uh, Tiago Big Monster Santos. But this Tiago Santos is also a monster. Has legit knockout power. We've seen what he's done, he's done since moving to the light heavyweight division. The last person to stop Anthony Smith as well inside the octagon. You can still say that. Because John Jones won a decision, so Maheta likely next. One fight was pulled from the card a couple days before. That was a fight between uh, Frankie Sions and uh, Marlon Vera, and that fight's been rescheduled for UFC in Nashville, so there's that. If one fight was going to fall off of this card, that one falling off was uh, not as big of a blow as you could uh, feel. I I remember when when I reported that uh, that fight had been pulled was on the UFC's website. People were like, oh no, it's the first domino. But everybody made weight, I think within the first hour. It's pretty impressive. I was happy to see that. So uh, 
we move forward. Next event, Lewis versus Dos Santos this weekend. We'll touch on that with our guest who's headlining on the, uh, in the main event, Derek Lewis, taking on Junior Dos Santos. That particular event, UFC in Wichita, has, uh, has some good fights on it. And there, there's one particular fight that uh, really, really surprises me, and that's uh, Valesky Dos Santos versus Curtis Millinder, the co-main event. And Millinder's the favorite, which I find very, very surprising. Valesky Dos Santos has been an absolute beast since coming into the UFC. He lost his debut to Nicholas Dalby by split decision, but since then, he's been on a tear. Now, the best opponent he's beaten is probably Lyman Good, maybe Max Griffin. And Sean Strickland's actually a pretty good win, too, so I shouldn't, you know, these are a lot of good opponents to, to beat. But um, the guy's just, a, he's just been a killer since getting in there. Now, Curtis Millinder as well, since coming into the UFC, has looked really good, too. Three straight wins. Also has a win over Max Griffin, as well as a uh, finish over Tiago Elves and a uh, decision over Thiar Bahaduzada in his last fight. Now, the thing about this particular fight is I just think Zaleski Dos Santos is going to be able to take him down and really impose his will. And if it stays standing, I think Dos Santos has more power, too. So to see that Dos Santos was an underdog in that fight was, uh, was very surprising. Tim Means against Nico Price, that's, that's going to be a fun one, too. Very, very similar fighters. I'm looking forward to that one as well. The return of Ben Rothwell, who was supposed to be on the show this week, but apparently has an illness. So read into that what you will. But he'll be taking on uh, Blagoy Ivanov, his second fight, former World Series of Fighting uh, champion at the heavyweight division, former Bellator contender at heavyweight. Lost his first U- lost his UFC debut, main event against Junior Dos Santos a couple of months back. Now Junior's back against Derek Lewis. Junior Dos Santos uh, also coming off a big win over Tai Tuivasa in his last fight in December. Anthony Rocco Martin versus Sergio Moraes. That should be a fun one. I think Rocco Martin's probably better everywhere, but if this goes to the ground, it's going to be Moraes' fight. Because Moraes can sub absolutely anybody in the UFC if this gets to the ground. So Anthony Rocco Martin is going to have to make sure that uh, this fight stays, uh, stays standing if he wants to win it. Moraes has shown he has some power too. He wings his punches a lot, but he's, he's been able to get knockout, a knockout in the UFC. I forget who it was that he knocked out. Let me, let me go back and look here. Got a knockout win over uh, Omari Akhmedov, who's on the card as well. Omari Akhmedov has a lot of uh, mutual opponents, but uh, taking on Tim Boach in the main card is Omari Akhmedov. Not not a ton of... like This is just one of these cards that has a lot of good evenly matched fights. It's just good matchmaking. It's not something that uh, I think has anything that really stands out as uh, something that's absolutely must-watch. I mean, Derek Lewis versus Junior Dos Santos is a heck of a main event, don't get me wrong, but just a lot of really good evenly matched fights, even from the very first fight. Alex White versus Dan Mor- uh, Moret. That, that's like a, that's a good evenly matched fight. Morono versus Otto. Good matched fight. Smolka versus Chanel. Very even fight in the bantamweight division. Two former flyweights. Maurice Green, who's lost to Jeff Hughes, taking on Jeff Hughes again. That's going to be an interesting one, the debut of Jeff Hughes. I believe he was the former LFA heavyweight champion. And Maurice Green, the runner-up on uh, The Ultimate Fighter. Or I don't think it was, sorry, he wasn't the runner-up. He won on the Ultimate Fighter with a submission. I think it was like a Kimura or something, or a triangle. That surprised a lot of people because he has a kickboxing background. So that's uh, that, that upcoming card. should be a fun one. UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Dos Santos. And that is uh, 
coming your way this Saturday. It's going to air on TSN. As all of these uh, fights, for the most part, are unfortunately the London card next weekend is going to be Fight Pass exclusive. A lot of the international cards this year, we don't have the rights to a TSN, unfortunately, and we'll try our best to get that message out there. But uh, that's uh, kind of unfortunate because that's a really, really good card headlined by Darren Till and um, Jorge Masvidal. Wichita card, however, is on TSN 5. Pre-show begins at 5 p.m. Eastern time. 8 p.m. main card. Love it. It's going to end by 11 o'clock. Love when that happens. Let's do it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, after that, like we said, Till versus Masvidal. Then you got Thompson versus Pettis in Nashville. Barboza versus Gaethje. Oh, man. Could be the fight of the year. That's the end of the month. And then you've got UFC 236, April 13th, State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. I'll be on hand for that one. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a very fun card. Very fun card. So we'll see how that goes down. I interviewed Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, Kelvin Gastelum, and Israel Adesanya last week at the UFC 236 press conference. You can check out interviews from that at tsn.ca slash UFC if you have not yet seen them. Please do check them out. So without further ado, let's get to our main event competitor at UFC Fight Night in Wichita, Kansas. It's the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Always a fun interview. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. He is in the main event of UFC Fight Night in Wichita, Kansas against Junior Dos Santos. Coming off of a title fight opportunity against Daniel Cormier in New York. Derek Lewis, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. How are y'all doing? I'm good. How are you enjoying Kansas? It's great. It's kind of warming up a little bit today. What have you been doing out there? um, 14 degrees. I'm just really cutting weight. How much do you have to cut for this particular fight? It's always 20. 20, okay. So Junior Dos Santos, a former champion, um, you know, he's a guy that puts a lot of volume on on people, whereas you have that really big, uh, you know, one-shot knockout power. Um, What what have you done to train differently for a guy like Junior? Um, Really just cardio. Always cardio. I don't train different from any other guy that I ever faced. I just always focus on myself, so I don't care what he could do or what he can't do and stuff like that. I just focus on myself. You went from a main, main eventing a pay-per-view against Daniel Cormier, and now you're main eventing on, uh, on, on TV, ESPN Plus, uh, in the U.S., TSN here in Canada. Um, when it comes to, to Junior Dos Santos, what do you think is the, is the biggest um, asset that he has uh, in his arsenal from what you've seen? Um, well, you know, I haven't seen, really seen him fight since, um, USADA, you know, so the biggest thing he had before then, it was, he didn't have USADA with him, but now he got USADA, so I got to see his fights, um, how did he perform before they came in the picture. What do you mean by that? Well, he's not on the juice no more, so that fight right there, I, I don't even, I erased all those fights, so I got to see. I guess he had two fights since he's been popped. So I got to watch those fights. You recently said that he's the weakest guy that you're going to fight out of anybody you fought before. Uh, why do you Why do you think that? 
I believe I fought some pretty tough guys, you know. Um, you know, the fights that I did see him go against um, Kane Velasquez and stuff like that. It's like I was rooting for him. I wanted him to beat Kane, and he let me down many a times. <laughs> and so, Except for that one time, that one time where he got him quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fluke. I didn't even think Kane was even out. But, yeah, but anyways, yeah. Uh, Junior Santos came out recently and said that you're afraid of him. Um, what do you think of that? I just heard that too. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny because it's so crazy. I call everyone out, and I guess he felt like since I didn't call him out, I'm afraid of him or something like that. No, it's just he wasn't in the way. That's all. He's behind me. Why would I be calling him out? Stuff like that. I don't. I call Francis out. Francis is probably the most dangerous guy in the division, like everybody's saying. I call him out. Why would I want to be calling Punch Drunk Junior Dos Santos? Why would I be calling him out? Looking ahead, you've fought the who's who of, of people in this heavyweight division, but one name that you haven't is, uh, is Stipe Miocic. Is he who you're looking to fight next? You know, if everything goes good with um, DeSantis, yes, I would like to fight Stipe next. I saw that uh, recently you were driving a, a, a twin-turbo Lamborghini. How'd that come about? Um, <laughs> it's something I always wanted. Did you, did you buy it? Is it yours? Yeah, I brought it. Well, what's it like driving that thing? Yes. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a dream come true. Do you drive it everywhere? I was wanting since I was a kid. Yeah. So if I'm in Houston and I see a, tw- a twin turbo Lamborghini, it's probably Derek Lewis behind the wheel. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, I, mean, so I don't. You see Lamborghinis out there, but you would probably wouldn't see twin turbos in Houston. How do you fit into that thing? You're a big, Actually, you're a big well. gentleman. It's, yeah, I know it's big and inside. It might be low to the ground, but it's big and inside. Do you feel like you're driving a race car? Have you been able to really unleash the powers of, of that car? Really, really feel like a go-kart. <laughs> Have you taken it on the track? The way it turns. Yeah, the way it turns and handles, it feels like a go-kart. Can I get an update on the lifetime supply of Popeyes? I know recently you said you just didn't want to go out and use the card and, and, uh, and go and get it. Have you, been, have you started taking advantage of, of that great opportunity? No, I haven't went yet. You still haven't gone? I haven't been What's the yeah. hes- what's the hesitation? I was joking around about that. So, so you never got a lifetime you never got a lifetime supply of Popeyes. No, I have uh, yeah, they gave me the the car, but I haven't uh, went up there and got it because I don't eat Popeyes like that uh, that often. So you you like basically you're not going to eat Popeyes until your career's done. Is that is that fair to say? <laughs> no, I'm going to eat Popeye, <laughs> but I just haven't had a chance to eat it yet. Is it because you've been in camp for so often? Yeah. I remember you said you yeah, were going to take a pretty big break after that last fight, after UFC 230, but uh, you're back in it pretty soon. What what was the uh, driving yeah, force behind that decision? I, had to, I, turned, I turned two fights down. I turned Stipe down. I turned um, – it was Overing, I think they – that was making noise. I had to turn them down. But turning Being down fights, <laughs> turning down fights isn't the marker of of the length of time. It's just the amount of fights you're turning down. 
He's just, you still, I mean, you fought, what, like three, you fought like four months ago. It's not, yeah, I mean, that's for yeah, you as a kind of a long time. Fight in January. Yeah, they, they wanted, wanted you to headline, right? In January. Yeah, you would yeah. have headlined the first ESPN card. That would have been cool. Yeah, I know. I'm like, God damn, I just fought November, then December, <laughs> then the moment going in January. By me saying, actually, they offered me Kane and Stipe. And I'm like, I needed some time off. Golly. But even still, this isn't that long of a time off. But did you have you enjoyed your time off? I mean, yeah, you, you did get a couple in, months. In January, it's, yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, January is like a month. I'm feeling good now about it. Yeah, I'm feeling good now about it. But still, I still was coming off a broken hand with the Volkov fight. Do you think Junior Dos Santos can last the round with you? I hope so. But we'll see. Stipe seems pretty upset that he's not getting the shot at, uh, at Daniel Cormier. Do you blame him? Do you think that he should move past it and, and look ahead and fight someone else? He's crazy. I don't know how he thinks he just coming from off suspension from USADA. They think he deserves a title shot. Oh, no, I mean Stipe. Stipe is upset that he hasn't been able to get uh, that rematch. Oh, well, maybe he's going about it all wrong. <laughs> maybe I go a different route. What advice do you have for him? <laughs> I don't know. Um, just stay at it, I guess. Well, you got a title shot. You know, you were able to get. I mean, I think Stipe apparently was offered that fight, and Daniel Cormier didn't want to fight Stipe. Wanted to fight you. But what? What? What would you say to Stipe to keep his name out there, keep him in contention for a title shot? Of course, you got to stay active. Go ahead and take a fight. Take a fight and be dominating it. John Jones, he fought this past weekend. Do you think he should move up to heavyweight? Yeah, it don't matter. Would you want to fight John Jones? It doesn't matter. I'll fight anyone. At this point, you don't care, right? You, if they offer you a good fight, you're in? I don't care. You've no, never really cared. Even care the title you said you didn't care that much about. But the payday, of course, is... Yeah, I don't... Yeah, so the, so the incentive of taking the title fight was the payday, pretty much, right? That's that's what you've always said. Even years ago, when I interviewed you at a gym, I think it was in Dallas at Fortis MMA. You were in town, I think, as a uh, on that card. You'd said, you know, I don't really care about the the title. I just want to make money in the sport. That's it. That that hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. So look at, looking up and down the UFC rankings, is there anybody that appeals to you that you haven't fought yet, or anybody that you'd like to face again? No, it really don't matter anymore. You know, after um, Francis and Big Country, um, those are the guys that I wanted to fight the most. I fought them, and everyone else doesn't matter now. What about Kane? Is Kane of interest? Curtis Blades? I'm looking down the list. You fought a lot of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I'll fight them, too. All right. Well, you're happy to fight everybody. Well, I'm always happy to speak with you, uh, Derek, and uh, best of luck to you. Uh, say hi to Coach Bob for me, and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Appreciate it. That was the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, and we go from Derek Lewis to an individual who's very, very familiar with uh, Team Alpha Male. He was the head coach there for some time, trained there for basically most of his career. Um, so he is somebody who... You know, has a lot to say about this particular subject because uh, he's very outspoken. 
He loves to talk. I love having Justin Buckles on because he can carry a conversation for a long, long time, and everything he has to say is very interesting. And I do want to preface this by saying that I like Cody Garbrandt a lot. You know, this isn't meant to be some sort of hatchet piece against Cody Garbrandt because I think he's really matured as a human being. Uh, you know, he's become a father, and that really sticks out. And he's been, you know, he was so respectful to his opponent this past week. I think he's really turned the corner in terms of his humor, human development, like just, just maturing as a man. I think uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, uh, you know, nobody wanted to see him lose in that fashion. It was very difficult to watch because uh, it's happened the last two two events. It's basically been the exact same way. And uh, it's tough to see because he, he was a former champion. He beat one of the best ever in Dominic Cruz. And uh, that makes it really, really difficult to watch because you just know that what Cody Garbrandt can do. We've seen we've seen him beat somebody that caliber of a Dominic Cruz. And uh, to see him lose like that to Pedro Munoz in the first round was very difficult. And uh, I also like Pedro. Pedro is one of the nicest guys in the UFC. And if you want to see what he said uh, to Piotr Jan, who called him out after the fight, you should definitely go to my Twitter page because uh, it's quite a funny clip. But uh, Cody Garbrandt, unfortunately, losing in the first round. And uh, joining me now on the TSN MMA show to discuss it, his former head coach and the former head coach of Team Alpha Male, Justin Buckles. Right, joining me now on the line is Justin Buckles. Team Alpha Male, unfortunately, since uh, Justin has uh, parted ways with the team, has not been doing their best work, and uh, that might be putting it lightly. Uh, the definition of insanity, some say, is doing the same thing over and over and over again. And unfortunately for Cody Garbrandt, he got knocked out in the same fashion as he did in both of those TJ Dillashaw fights. Now, you were in his corner, Justin, for just, just the first of those fights, correct? I was in his corner for uh, TJ1, but I was no longer his head coach. Oh, at that time you were no longer the head coach. Okay. I was no longer the head coach at Alpha Male, and I was no longer uh, Cody's head coach. If you watch that embedded, it says there's like, we're we're at the airport, and it says like I'm Muay Thai coach or some BS, you know? Yeah. So so, at that point, I was already out. I wasn't, I was not in that position. So you had a foot out the door at that point in time, and you had left soon thereafter, correct? Yeah, I left after uh, Darren Elkins. I stayed in the gym until Darren Elkins fought. Michael Johnson. And that was Mike, Michael Johnson was, it was his first fight in division. He was heavily hyped. Elkins was in the top 10. Elkins was on a, I think we were on a six fight win streak together. Last, last I, I cornered Darren Elkins. And, and since then he, you know, I don't know what happened to him. He dropped two and got finished for the first time since Usada came into play. You know, that's what's happened to Elkins since, since I worked with him. So, you know, it's not just Cody. Yeah, that was the first time he'd been knocked out since Chad Mendez. Uh, who, yeah. uh, who, and that was, I guess, before he was even at Alpha Male, because Mendez was at Alpha Male at the time. Yeah, I was in Mendez's corner for that. Yeah, exactly. And that's when he had moved, made the move over soon thereafter. So, um, yeah, I, unfortunately, it's been uh, some pretty um, devastating things, I'm sure, from your perspective. I, I know that you care about all of these individuals who, who you have coached in the past. Yeah, man, it is just... it. it, it for me, I mean... You know, everyone's talking about what happened to Cody, and and uh, you know that's that's a uh, that's pretty uh, sad in itself. But I mean, just speaking of Elkins, it's, Elkins was he was poised for a, a title shot after Michael Johnson. It was he had won six. He had his comeback against Mursad Bektik. He was a complete animal, and people will scoff and laugh and say, "Oh, what, oh, Darren Elkins, you know, Max Holloway's on a different level." Blah blah blah. But I would just paint the picture to people. I mean, this is at the UFC after he beat Michael Johnson. I said, all right, well, if, if uh, you know, imagine a fight with Holloway did happen. Now imagine the fight in rounds four and five, you know, and everyone stopped and they'd say, oh, man, well, Elkins got a shot to beat him. Like, 
If Elkins survives the first three and, and anyone in there with Elkins four and five, the guy doesn't get tired. The guy hadn't been knocked out since, you know, since, since Mendez, you know, and there's no, there's no shame in that, but uh, you know, he was durable and, and you could see that the guy had a shot. I would have, I would have at least liked to see uh, Darren challenge for a belt in his career. I felt like he deserved that, you know, the work he's put in and some of the fights he's put on. You know, I'll say I've been backstage for a lot of events uh, and I haven't seen a team as happy as after that Mirsad Bektik fight. We were talking backstage. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I had told you that he was something like a 20 to 1 underdog going into the third round against Bektik in the, in yeah. the live betting or whatever it was. Um, so that was uh, one of the most remarkable comebacks in UFC history. Yeah, and, that, and that's, I mean, that reason right there, that fight with, uh, with Elkins and Bektik, that's the reason why I love MMA. It's because. You know, you can't you can't quantify a win like that. You can't scientifically on paper say why that happened. I mean, going into the third round, like you said, it was he was twenty to one dog. It was impossible for him to win that fight. And he knocked that dude out with a combination that we practiced against the fence nonstop when he had him against the fence. Cause you know, Elkins if Elkins is pushing you up against the fence, you're in trouble. So he worked a lot of stuff off there, that body kick and that right hand. And I think he said that in the post-fight interview. He said, just like on the mitts, same combination, something like that. But, man, that, that was, uh, that was <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's a, hard, a hard moment to, to uh, live up to if you're talking about a team being happy. Like, that was, that was uh, you know, that was pure, uh, pure joy and, and whatever else to see, it, see our guy go out there and, and get it done like that. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think has gone wrong? I mean, you look at back-to-back losses now for Elkins. Cody has lost three in a row. The only one with any real momentum is someone who you still coach in Cynthia Calvillo. Um, yeah, well, hey, what are the odds of that? What, you know, what's the what's the connection there? You know, it does. I mean, it does seem uh, odd. It does, I mean, it, yeah. probably not a coincidence. It, it seems, I'd imagine. It seems, seems crazy that the you know, the one fighter that I'm still working with, uh, you know, has a shot to be the next champion. You know, she's beaten two two top level contenders in the last three months. Uh, she's looking better with each fight. She's working different aspects of her game as the fight goes on. I mean, she came back against Pollyanna after a nine-month layoff, and Pollyanna was one of the, the most feared women in that division. She just came off the 30-second knockout of the Japanese girl. She had six KOs in seven fights. She was trained by Andre Pedineris, the legend, you know what I mean? And Team Alpha Male and Novi Unao has had a, had a rivalry for, for 10 years from Mendez to Aldo, and I quoted Mendez for both those fights. To TJ to Burrell. I mean, even to Andre Feely and Cochran uh, uh, Diaz. And, and I mean, Uriah and Aldo, Uriah, Uriah and Burrell. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we've been fighting them forever. So they're top prospect versus, uh, you know, one of the top fighters from Alpha Male. It was a big deal, you know, Cynthia coming back. And, and there hasn't been a single fight where, where an Alpha Male guy has just steamrolled a Nova Inau, uh fighter like Cynthia did to Pollyanna. So she came out and, uh, uh, you know, made Pollyanna look like a first-timer and choked her in four minutes. Uh, it was pretty impressive. And then 11 days later, Cynthia signed a fight to fight uh, number 10 in the division. Uh, Courtney Casey. Courtney Casey, yeah. you know. And, and it, the uh, she didn't get to finish, but she had to deal with adversity in that fight. And her striking game looked evolved and improved as a fighter should, you know. So I don't, I don't think, anybody's, I don't think anybody's finished Courtney Casey in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken, either. She's very durable. Man, and, and, and all Courtney Case's split decision losses. She's lost, only lost by split decision. And she's taken those fights on two weeks' notice. She took, she took the fight with uh, Karate Hottie on, I think, three weeks' notice and 
knocked her head around like a pinball machine in the first round, you know? She's a beast, man. She is a beast. And uh, she's like a fighter like, uh, you remember Mac Danzig? Yeah. Uh, Ultimate Fighter winner? Yeah. Mac Danzig, I fought Mac Danzig in the UFC, and this is what people told me, and I didn't really understand it until I fought him. They said, you can't look good against Mac Danzig winning or losing. He's going to make the fight like that. And I feel like Courtney Casey is, is, is that type of fighter. Even if you get the win on her, you're not necessarily going to look good. But, uh, you know, I, I felt like Cynthia looked good. And, and uh, as a coach, she, she overcame adversity and did a lot, a lot of good things in that fight. So I don't know what it is. You know, it must be something in the water at Alpha Male, I guess. Yeah, well, looking at that, though, I mean, how I saw the Thrill in the Agony video. I don't know if you saw that. I think it came out yesterday. And they showed Cody's, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they showed Cody's corner. And uh, Dennis, uh, sorry, uh, Castillo was yelling, um, you know, don't, don't get into Don't exchange with the right. Don't exchange with the right. So it looks like they knew that that was an issue. And Cody has uh, since come out and yeah, said but Aaron, that. Aaron, think about this. Think about this, though. He's screaming, don't trade right hand. As a coach, that's the last thing you want to scream. What is that? If a fighter is in there, think about the, what the fighter is computing. Don't trade right hand. He'll probably get right hand out of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're, the it's like the, it's like the it's, exactly. It's like the rumor game when everyone's sitting around a table and you say something to someone. They say it to the next person. By the time it gets all the way down past six people, it's going to be something completely different. Now try screaming through, you know, uh, a crowd and and, uh, and and everything else that comes with an event, a live event. You have to be very specific with what you say in the corner. To say don't trade right hands is just, it's kind of foolish. He should have said keep your left hand up. And instead of saying get out of there, he should have been saying move your feet. You know what I mean? Uh, it, 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 was, it was bizarre to me. And then, and then also that, to show that kind of emotion and do that as the corner. Look, man, it's not you in there. That's the fighter in there. You need to be strong for your fighter. If you want to see a good corner in action and how to handle a loss, look at uh, – the great Duke Rufus and uh, Din Thomas in their corner. Of course, and that's on the thrill and the agony too. That's later on uh, when T. Wood lost. And uh, they show the bell ringing and they show the reaction from the corner. And of course, they look disappointed because their guy lost. And then Duke Rufus says, well, let's go get our man. Yeah. You know, much respect to Duke Rufus. They go in there, they clean him up. If you look at the actual fight with Cody, I'm never, I, I don't know of, of a UFC fight and I've watched them all. I've cornered over 100 myself. I haven't seen the corner run out of the octagon before the fighter's hand is raised, the other one. You need to stay in there and show respect and, and have your man's back like Duke Rubis did. That's a good lesson to, to uh, young coaches and, and, and even fighters who corner, who corner their, uh, uh, their training partners. You, I think, you don't I think that happened with guys. Stevens also. It happened like two, two or three fights earlier in the card, which is weird. You don't see that happen usually twice in one card. What do you mean, running out of the cage? Yeah, I think the same thing happened with Stevens against Zabit, if I'm not mistaken. Stevens and his team just left after the decision. Oh, no, no, yeah. Stevens did. I'm saying just the corner. Cody's corner did. Yeah, yeah. Cody's, Cody's standing there, and, and his two corner men are just trying to get out of the, the cage there before the fight's even announced. You know, first of all, you, your fighter was just a victim of a brutal knockout. You need, to, you need to have a hand on that guy while he walks out of the cage. If, if you're a if combat sports fan... You know that after a fighter gets knocked out, there's been multiple times in boxing where the corner doesn't hold on to the fighter and they try to exit the, the ring and they fall on their face. You know what I mean? Because they're discombobulated. As a cornerman, as a coach, you need to have a hand on that fighter until he's sitting in a chair. You know, uh, and that's just like nit, nitpicky thing, but nitpicky things. But those small things, if you can't get the small things right, you can't get the big things right. And, and that's just, 
I don't know. I, I watched that. I, I, I could barely watch that, that corner reaction, what was going on there. One guy was had his face buried in his hands. And, you know, the, the, the reaction that I, that I noticed was uh, Bruce Buffer. I don't know if he had money on Cody or what. He probably just loved Cody like most people in the UFC. And, you know, he, he hit, his, hit his own knee after uh, the result. But No, I didn't realize that. Was that on the Thrill, uh, Thrill in the Agony video as well? Yeah, it was uh, Bruce Buffer was sitting off to the side and he like, he like, I don't know, he like throws the car. He doesn't throw the car down, but he like slaps his leg or something. Uh, but he could tell he was pretty upset. Hmm. Probably, probably just a no love fan, you know? Yeah, oh, maybe. I, I, I do know that they want him to succeed there. He seems like one of the more marketable players, uh, I guess, or sorry, athletes in the uh, in the UFC. And somebody, uh, somebody they can market. You got to take that into account too. You, you got to take that into account too. I mean, the promotion is behind Cody. They, they back his every move. And they want to see him succeed. Yeah, so the matchmaking was on his side. I think that they thought they could that he could outbox Pedro. Pedro couldn't out wrestle him, and Pedro is usually his best path is those uh, those trademark uh, guillotine chokes. So yeah. I think that they thought he matched up with him basically favorably everywhere. Well, he was handpicked. Munoz was handpicked for Cody's comeback. They they looked at the the top. I mean, I, this I'm a, I know he was handpicked, but I'm assuming they looked at the top ten and said, "Oh, let's pick this guy." Uh, he gets hit by the kitchen sink. If Cody hits him, he's going to go to sleep. You know what I mean? And he's not necessarily known as a knockout guy. Yeah. Pedro was. He's known, he's known as a guillotine guy and a tough fighter. I've known Pedro since, I don't know, back in RFA when Lance Palmer was the champion. I, I was cornering Lance Palmer out there, and I met Pedro out there. Uh, when that fight was announced, I knew, I knew that was a tough, tough fight. And, uh, you know, that, the result that happened didn't, didn't surprise me at all. But... Uh, because I know Pedro can hit as well, you know, and he's got a, he's got a chin like no other. Uh, and the thing is, 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 is Pedro's the type of guy, the type of fighter, even at this stage in his career, he's in the gym six, seven hours. He's doing two, three practices. He's sparring with John Lineker, hitting Burrell. He's got all the guys at ATT working with him, focusing on him, and, and they know what's at stake. A win, a win over Cody, you're a superstar, you know? I mean, look at, look at the effect of uh, even TJ. When TJ beat him twice, that really – propelled TJ into not just the mainstream of MMA, but I mean, just kind of the mainstream in, in combat sports. Uh, so they, they knew it was on the line with, with, uh, with a fight with uh, Cody and, and they took it very seriously, obviously. Do you think that you could ever end up back at alpha male? If they look at the results of late, there's a common denominator and that's you having left the team. The team just hasn't been quite as good since then. Um, is that door, do you think ever open again? No, absolutely not. Uh, I will, I will never go, go back to that gym. That's, you know, the, the way, the, what I did there, I mean, I was there for 10 years. I was the first UFC fighter to fight out of alpha male, the social media. I, I did all that. I started it from scratch. Uh, you know, I, I, I made the Instagram, the, the team alpha male Instagram. I ran that and, and that was the, the biggest team Instagram, uh, in the sport, you know, Tiger Muay Thai has since beat it. I mean, other teams have since destroyed it because, it's just <laughs> that's not showing the same results that it used to either, uh, to be frank. But, you know, there, there's, I mean, the logo, the logo on all their shirts that I designed that logo. Yeah, I was I was a huge part of that. And and, uh, you know, I didn't think that I would ever, ever leave that. I thought I was going to die as, as a head coach at Alpha Male. But, you know, say la vie, things don't always work out the way you think they, they are. And sometimes they, they turn out better for you. So. Uh, for me to ever coach Alpha Male again, that, that door is closed. I mean, I don't know. Uriah would have to lick my boot if he wanted me to go back back in that gym, and, and even then, I don't think I'd do it. 
So this obviously wasn't an amicable parting of ways. They they took uh they took their head coach. Amicable away. parting of ways. I mean, dude, it's ten years. These fighters. I've been like, I've been working with, I've been working with with some of these fighters for six, seven, ten years. You know, and then I'm on the out. Like, <laughs> it, it, it. You know, we're winning. We're be, we're being successful. Like, and then I'm out of there. It just. Of course, it wasn't amicable. And what what about TJ? If TJ gave you a call and said, you know, let, let, let bygones be bygones. You're not with Alpha Male anymore. I need somebody else to to help me uh, along my path. I'm the champion. I just lost. Is that door open? Of course, that door's open. TJ has been nothing but respectful to me. From I mean, here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. Dwayne Ludwig came into to camp, and you, the the results spoke for themselves, like they do now the team started knocking everyone out. We started coming together and, and uh, we had one of the, one of the best years of team alpha male was under Dwayne Ludwig. Probably the second best year. The best year was 2016 when I was head coach, but the second best year was, was with uh, uh, Ludwig. We had title shots. The fighters were moving forward and he gets ran out of there, you know, and, and TJ ends up going with him. I mean, it was like a parallel to what happened when I was head coach. I was, I coached 2016. Uh, instead of TJ, it was it was Cody. Cody came up in one year, uh, won the belt, and then I get run out of there. The only difference was Cody stayed at the camp instead of TJ, you know, having loyalty to his coach and going with Dwayne to Colorado. You know what I mean? So it's an interesting parallel in the in the way things happen. And after Dwayne left, there was a year where you know it, there was talks of of the gym not continuing anymore. They they were trying to sell the team, whatever that means, and and, and everything else. And and the lease was going up at, at our old location. And and uh, that last year, that's when I took over, and the program got revitalized at that point. And so, so springboarding off of that world championship with Cody and the number one contenders uh, in, in two or three divisions and the top 10 ranked fighters and the win streaks we had, they moved into a, a giant facility. And that's where things you know, started to change with me um, being in, in that position anymore. You know, it's like the owner of, uh, if you think of it like football, it's like the owner of the, of the team got jealous of the head coach and then showed up on the field and started coaching, you know, instead of sitting back, kicking his feet up and saying, I started the team, I own the team. Everything you do makes my shine brighter. But some people just can't understand that because they can't see past their own ego, you know. And we have seen that in sports before, and it never usually works out when the, uh, the owner or the GM decides to, to make personnel moves or whatever. Yeah, yeah you know, the you GM know, makes you, coaching you, moves, the owner makes personnel moves, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you're not qualified. And, that, and that's the thing, too. If you, if you talk about qualifications, like I was just, I was just mentioning Duke Rufus, because, uh, you know, I, I, that guy, he's a huge influence on me in coaching. I, I watch everything he does. He's one of the best. And he just posted something on his Instagram that was at the Arnold Classic, and it was uh, Anthony Pettis uh, winning a fight by knockout, and it was in 2010. And, uh, he, and, and Duke competed in a, in a jiu-jitsu tournament for, during the Arnold Classic, and I saw the picture, and I told him, I was like, man, that's crazy. Nine years ago, I was in the opposite corner with Master Tong, you know? I was in the opposite corner against Pettis uh, nine years ago at a WC at the Arnold Classic. Like, I, I cornered uh, Charlie Valencia. I trained Charlie Valencia uh, uh, with his first fight with Dominic Cruz. I mentioned that before, but that's, that's the credentials that I bring to the table. I've been holding mitts and training fighters, Aldo 1, Aldo 2 for Mendez for years, you know? And 
when I, when I left the team, they replaced me with, you know, other people that I had put, I had put in coaching positions. And those people don't even have close to the experience or credentials that I did. I, I was coaching and fighting for the last decade. You know, I have a hundred UFC corners. Some of these guys have six. I mean, I think one of, one of Cody's cornermen has seven UFC corners and he's 0-7 in the corner. I mean, wow. and you, put, you put a guy, yeah, he's 0-7 or 0-8 in the corner. You know, since I left the team, were, he was the tallest guy they could find, so they replaced me with him. And he's 0 and 8. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I have more world title fights than that. I got 14, you know. Um, so it's just crazy that you, you have to have the right person for the job. You can't just take someone and, and tell them to go into the, the ER and do emergency surgery. They need to have the experience, you know what I mean? And, and uh, they have to have it, – It's not, not everyone can be a coach and not everyone – can uh, uh can hold mitts it's it's uh i mean <laughs> i don't want to get into it but well i think the pro- the know, big problem right now is the, is just a lack of identity because chad's retired i don't know what went into that decision and uh um, well, what the hell happened there man i leave the team and dude chad mendez is is chad mendez is, is he he is like chad mendez is a legend of alpha male this guy is oh, for a sure. legend of alpha male he he He's more, he's like Bo Jackson, you know, Bo Jackson from, who was a two sport athlete, NFL and M, uh, ML or uh, baseball. Yeah. And, and of was, course the goat in techno tech mobile, but continue. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he was, he was an amazing, like multi-sport athlete. That's Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez could do a jump knee, like six feet in the air. And, and uh, he could show up after vacation and, and win the takedown tournament. Like Chad Mendez was incredible. And, and I don't know what happened to him. I mean, I guess I could, I could, I could text him, but, I heard he retired, but he never mentioned that he retired. And yeah, it I mean, kind of came out afterwards, and he's out of the rankings now. Like they they removed him from the rankings, and apparently he just quite, kind of quietly decided he was going to retire after that Volkanovski fight. Well, yeah, that, that's that's bizarre. I mean, from what I heard, was someone else announced it? Uh, his it yeah, it never came out of his mouth. I've never heard Chad Mendes say I'm retired, but he's he's out of the wait. rankings, so it must be something to it. Yeah. So whoever whoever announced it is a real. Uh, you know, POS, man. I mean, you, you don't take that announcement from a fighter, you know, like you let a fighter tell, tell the, the world when they're done. Whoever leaked that, you know, is a real scumbag. If you ask me. Yeah. I, I don't remember where it came from. It was uh, like, I think a reporter had put it out, but no, you know, yeah, Mendes had never, had I was backstage out, there at two, two thirty two, And somebody just told me, Oh, it looks like Chad's retiring now, but I, I, that was the only time I'd really heard anything about it. Yeah. That was leaked out of the camp. Uh, you know, someone's got loose lips, but it, it wasn't their place to leak that information. It was, it was Chad's place. You know, you should let the fighter have some dignity and, and let the world know when, when he's supposedly done. And, you know, and, and if Chad is done, he, he's had a great career, but man, I mean, Mendez was, was always, he, you know, he, he, we, you speak in Mendez of the like hushed tones, like a fighter's coming up when they do something good. I'm like, Oh man, that was like Mendez, you know? And they like their eyes light up. They're like, "Oh, really, really?" You know, I mean, he, he's that kind of fighter. He's that kind of special athlete. And I don't know. I, I just feel I should just hit him up. I haven't talked to him for a while, but uh, I feel like that whole thing was was botched as well. You know? Yeah. So again, it's kind of uh, with without Chad there and without a lot of the old school guys still uh, competing. It's basically Cody and everybody else. Cody's kind of the face of, of Alpha Male. So to see that happen over the course of the weekend, um, it just makes me wonder where they go from here. 
Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing too is people like they, they, they make a situation that is, is kind of simple, just way too simple. They're like, Oh, he decided to throw caution to the wind. Yeah. Well, wh- where, the, where was that guy? Where was the guy who threw caution to the wind and killer be killed? Uh, I'm just going to go run across the cage, holding my right hand out uh, with my hands down. Where was that guy when, when he fought Dominic Cruz? It's funny too, because Dominic Cruz's commentary, he just can't believe that Cody masterclassed him for five, five minute rounds and took his title. He just, he can't, he doesn't understand how it works. Cause even before that fight, he was saying, well, TJ, it was a family over there. And TJ had a, is it has a big brother mentality. So we're really going to see the real Cody come out for this fight. And this is Dominic Cruz just hoping that we see the Cody Garbrandt that schooled him. You know what I yeah, mean? And well, you saw, Munoz, in his you saw Munoz get into yeah. Cruz's face after the fight and asked what, him all, what that was all about backstage. And Munoz said, I told him this week I was going to knock him out. And, and Cruz kind of like laughed at me. <laughs> but there, there it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Cruz is just so confused at the fighter he's seen since the fighter that beat him. You know, he, he's so confused that. I mean, Cruz beat uh, TJ. I, I cornered TJ uh, against Dominic, and I felt like TJ won the fight overall, uh, if you score it like pride. But watching it back, you can see where Dominic Cruz could have taken down uh, three of those rounds. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, similar with, to GSP versus Hendricks. It's a, exactly. That's a comparable he, fight, yeah. And that's, that, that's perfect, you know? So uh, that, that's what I felt about that. But uh, to see the guy who, who seriously masterclassed him, for 25 minutes, you know, uh, beat him almost every round. I mean, you could, you could give Cruz maybe one round of that fight uh, to see that guy go out and have the performance he did against TJ, a guy that Cruz beat twice, and then Pedro Munoz down at number nine. Cruz is just completely confused as, as to what happened, you know? Well, I mean, it, just a quick tidbit is, you know, I quartered 27 rounds against Dominic Cruz. It's like I was Cody's head coach at the time. I mean, and, and – and there's people that say I had nothing to do with it. And you could, you could say whatever you want, you know, but the, the results speak for himself. I mean, Cody's, he's, his only fight against the top 10 opponents are Pedro Munoz, number nine, TJ Dillashaw, and then Dominic Cruz, you know, and Dominic Cruz was the best out of all of them. And he masterclassed him, but he couldn't get past those other guys. And it's, uh, uh has a lot to, it's, it's coaching. It's a program. It's, it's, uh, it's all that, you know? It makes me wonder how many minutes of tape you've watched of Cruz over the years and, and Aldo over the years. Cumulatively, it's probably hours and hours and hours. You know, I, I, I uh, added up how long I've been in the MGM Grand, and it's like, I think it's like almost three months in fight weeks, you know? Wow. That's like, you know what I mean? That's, uh, that's like 12 fight weeks, 11 fight weeks. And there's been, I've had 11 fighters competing in MGM, you know? So from Tuesday to Saturday, I've lived in that, that hotel for, you know, almost three months. It's, it's ridiculous. But the, speaking of your point of watching tape on Dominic Cruz, I, I, I specifically remember, you know, all the, all the little guys at Alpha Male telling me, hey, let's watch some tape on Dominic Cruz. And I'm like, I don't need to watch no tape. I'm, I got 27 rounds <laughs> live in person, dude. I don't need to watch no tape on Cruz. I, you, know, you, know what, you, want me, you want me to show you my Cruz impression, you know? It's not bad. <laughs> oh, what, but, in, in you know, cage? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Like if you were to just demo work. him? Yeah, yeah, I'll just demo, but here, here's what Cruz is going to do. You know what I mean? Dance around all silly and then uh, <laughs> try to shoot a takedown. No, I'm just kidding. He's, well, he's a great fighter. What was the key to cracking that code? For Cruz? Yeah. 
Well, it's what everyone says, Cody. This, so look, I mean, look, look at Cody's performance, his performance against uh, uh, Pedro. Watch that fight and then watch Cody's performance against Marcus Brimage. You know, his first fight in the UFC. Uh, the thing with that fight that I remember distinctly is I had to keep Cody's chin down and keep him from winging punches and getting into the exchanges because he was so much faster. And that was Cody's first fight in the UFC. And he's, his strategy and his, his fight style has regressed from that first fight in the UFC. You know, uh, the, the key to c- cracking Cruz, though, was the, the main thing was that I, that I would tell Cody the strategy was, I said, you were the lion. You know what I mean? A lion does not exhaust himself chasing down a hyena. You know what I mean? To get, to get killed because he's too tired. A lion will sit in the center of the cage, and when that hyena comes up and tries to nip at him, he gets that, you know what I mean? He gets that lion paw right across the face. And we sit there and we take the center. You know what I mean? We don't chase them. We don't get emotional. And that was the, the entire strategy going into it was uh, Cody. The, the thing with Cody is, is, is he gets emotional. And yeah, this and is, you can this see that is, the last three fights the, for sure. Yeah, and the way you control this is with coaching and reinforcement of game plan. So in sparring for, for Dominic, Co- Cody would, would sometimes get a little out of control and unload on I mean, it was a brutal camp. He, he broke an orbital bone. Uh, one of the guys, Matt Waggy, he, uh, you know, and, and the, the thing is, this is all in-house. We didn't bring in any, when I was coaching there and training there, we didn't bring in anybody ever, you know. We did everything in-house. We didn't bring in a single sparring par- partner for Dominic Cruz. We, we used our own guys. And, you know, and, and the thing is, I don't want guys on my team getting hurt by Cody. You know what I mean? Because they have lives and their careers as well. But, that, that was a brutal camp. He, he actually broke uh, Matt Waggy. He's a, he's a professional fighter out of Florida, broke his orbital bone. And uh, he, I think he had had two knockouts. He, he had knocked out a guy, uh, a UK guy with a back fist. And, um, you know, so it was a brutal camp. But the thing was, Cody would, would, would get excited and, and unload on people. And everyone would be like, oh, no, you got you to gotta stay calm. And I was like, no, nah, man. You have to stay calm. I, I was like, I was like, it's, you don't necessarily have to stay calm. I said, you just have to tuck that chin. You know what I mean? You just, you just can't get into that exchange. I like when you, when you get on these guys like that, but we, we can't do that with Dominic Cruz. And, and uh, one day he was training in the gym and he, 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 he unloaded in sparring. And I told him, I was like, I was like, Cody, you got to have ring generalship. And I seriously saw the light bulb go off in his head, you know, with the term uh, ring generalship. And he started moving his feet and then he pointed, you know how he pointed at Dominic yeah, yeah. Cruz? Yeah, he pointed at the guy and I was like, oh, snap, this is, this is something that, that connected with him, you know what I mean? This is after all the, the, the whole year of saying, don't brawl, don't do this. The ring generalship is what, what, uh, what did it, what, what, what connected with him. And, and uh, Dominic is the master of ring generalship. You're going to be standing there in a cage with Dominic in, in round four, tired with, uh, with uh, you know, like you're stuck in the mud. And he's going to be dancing around and the whole crowd going to be watching him. And, and he's going to be scoring, even if he's not scoring, because if he, it, 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 it's just this basic, basic, like, uh, evolution. You know what I mean? If we're hunting something, movement is, is what our eyes pick up. And that's something that Cruz did. He would, he would, Cruz did. He would dazzle the crowd and he would dazzle the judges because he's doing way more work out there. If some guy's just standing there plotting and Cruz is dancing around you, who's winning the fight you know the, the guy who's, who's moving around and, and pecking at the guy so that, that was a big part of strategy and and when i told cody ring generalship something clicked and seriously that night it was crazy it was like uh 
you know, I don't know. It was, it was a, a, a crazy, a crazy turn of events, you know what I mean? But Dominic Cruz just came out with an interview. It was, it was that afternoon. And he said in the interview, he said, Cody can't beat me. He he's not experienced enough. He doesn't know anything about, uh, he doesn't know about things like ring generalship. So I screenshotted oh, wow. the article. <laughs> it's a, you know some I mean? locker yeah. room material, bulletin board material. Well, yeah, exactly. And that was the day that, that uh, it was, it was, it was a Wednesday after sparring and, and that article was released. So I do, I put a big circle around ring generalship and I send it to, um, to Cody. And I say, we can't, we can't say ring generalship, you know, because say Cody chases him a little bit and I go ring generalship and then Cody calms down. I felt Dominic Cruz was going to pick up on that. So I tell Cody, I'm like, we got to come up with some kind of something like, what can I say to you that means ring generalship, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll key in for only you. And he like looks at me and he goes, swag on him. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, swag on him, like swag <laughs> on him. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. And if you watch Dominic Cruz versus Cody, uh, I think it's about 40 seconds in. About 30 seconds in, Cody runs, swinging punches at him, running his feet at him. You know what I mean? He, he, he tries to get him because Cruz is dancing around and Cody goes after him about 30 seconds in. And about 40 seconds in, you just hear the, my voice. I go, swag on him, like, you know, as yeah. loud as I can. And, and then, then Cody, like, does, like, a little shuffle and backs off. And then from there, he started break dancing on him and, and everything else. And it was a, it was a masterful, masterful performance. And, uh, you know, that, that was a strategy of it. it. It just pisses me off when I see all these Fairweather fans and all these dorks who think they know anything about MMA saying, you know, even I think I, I, Brendan Schwab. I mean, this guy's a uh, self-proclaimed expert, and he's saying, oh, Cody's killer be killed. It's like, dude, he's not you, buddy. This guy was a world champion. He could, he could beat anyone. He beat the greatest of all time. That's in him. He doesn't need to go out there and trade right hands with someone. It's not killer be killed. It's, it's win this fight. Get the W, you know. And uh, it just pisses me off when people say that, that, oh, he just got emotional. Oh, he just decided to, to do this. Well, that's all from training. That's all from the camp. That's all from the cues you receive from your coach. And, uh, uh, you know, that there's a lot more into it than someone getting emotional or he needs to change his mentality. Well, where do you build your mentality? You build your mentality in camp. You know what I mean? Um, and, and he's done it. We, we've seen how good Cody is. That's why uh, Cody's like Mike Tyson. You know what I mean? He's such a polarizing figure. It's either going to be, you know, heaven or hell kind of deal with, with, with him. He's going to, he's going to go out there and, and show the potential that he did with Dominic Cruz. I mean, that fighter who beat Dominic Cruz, and this is respect to Cruz, man. Everything I say about Cruz, this is respect to Cruz, man. I've been quarreling against the guy for, for a decade. He's beaten up all my friends, you know, in front of me. I'm sitting there live while he beats up all my friends for 10 years, and finally I get a guy to take this dude out, you know, and he does, and he does it to perfection, you know. And then uh, for him to come back and have, have the string of, string of fights that he, he has had, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's horrible. It's the last thing you want to see as a coach. And, you know, that's, that's what happens. That, that, that should just prove to fighters the importance of a game plan, the importance of a good coach that knows what, what they're doing, and uh, the importance of a good program, you know. And are you still in touch with, uh, with Cody at all? No, nah, he does. I don't really, really get, keep in touch with most of those guys. Yeah, well, that's you know, uh, yeah, Uriah texted me today saying that I'm hanging on Cynthia's, uh, hanging on to Cynthia's career or something. Hmm. You know, he sees it like that and doesn't see the fact that she's the only one winning out of his gym. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I guess it's 
you know, cognitive bias. Once people have ideas in their head, it, it, it's, it's really funny because it's not really funny. It's, it's a good lesson to me because when Dwayne was kicked out of the gym, uh, Uriah went on Ariel Hawani and called him a racist. You know what I mean? It was, it was a, a no holds barred attack on Dwayne's character and who Dwayne was because he left Team Alpha Male. And when Dwayne first left, I was on Dwayne's side. I was on TJ's side. Uh, you know, they, they want to say that TJ wasn't kicked out of the gym. I was there when he got kicked out of the gym. He was told he couldn't train there anymore. You know, there's a, there's a clip on the Ultimate Fighter of Faber saying, that is a bold-faced lie. No, no, no. I was there. TJ left, heartbroken. He wasn't allowed to train at Alpha Male anymore, hence moving to Colorado, because he was trying to do both. He was trying to – he was doing whatever he could, which was train with his coach who got him to the belt and his team that got him to the belt. You're right, but yeah. But once an ultimate – an ultimatum was given where he couldn't do that. And when T and, and then TJ left to Colorado, I became head coach at alpha male the day after I cornered TJ Dillashaw, because I went to corner TJ Dillashaw to corner my friend who I had loyalty to with Dwayne. And that was January, I think of uh, 2016. And I took over as head coach at alpha male after that fight, because I couldn't go corner. I said, fine, I'll do it. I, you know, I'll do it after I'll, I'll, I'll officially become head coach after I, but I need to fulfill this obligation. And I, of course I was, you know, hated for however long by Uriah for cornering TJ because now TJ and Dwayne are the enemy because they left, you know? So I mean? how, how hard was that season of ultimate fighter for you? Because basically that was, you know, it was TJ and, and Cody and you still kind of like TJ, I guess, and Dwayne, but you were the head coach of Cody's team on that. Season. Well, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. For, so for me, it's like, I, I'm not, morally better than than any anybody i'm not i'm not you know what i mean i'm i'm just a guy living but when i became head coach of alpha male i really lived into my role you know what i mean it's like the stanford prison prison experiment you know you know about that yeah where where they yeah they took a bunch of kids and they made them guards and prisoners and the guards lived in these roles and started like beating the kids and the kids were like you know the students were like they made them do push-ups and they they lived into these roles. Once they said, you're a prison guard, they forgot they were just dorky students, psychology <laughs> students, and they really thought they were prison guards after three days. They had to shut it down. You know what I mean? They shut it. They're like, we're pulling the plug. This is too dangerous, you know? Uh, that's the same thing that happened to me, but in a good way. I became head coach at Alpha Male, and I said, all right, I can never be late. You know what I mean? I have to mean what I say, and I have to give an example to all these kids coming up, you know? So, so I really tried to live into that role, and as far as it came to friendships, me and TJ, we were, we were good friends. And uh, once I became head coach at Alpha Male, he was the guy across the cage from me. And I lived into that role. And I was training the guy to beat him. He was, a, he was the, the top contender at the time. I was training Cody to beat TJ, you know what I mean? And, and TJ's with Dwayne. And I really like TJ. So I start putting all my negative energy well, not negative energy, competitive energy against Dwayne. I'm like, all right, Dwayne's the bad guy. When Dwayne honestly has done nothing but treat me with respect my, my whole life. And, and, uh, and Dwayne is one of the biggest influence on coaching in my career. You know, you want to come out and say this stuff. I was like, before Dwayne even came to Alpha Male, I had Bang Muay Thai volumes one through five on DVD back in the day. And that helped me, taught me how to shape a practice and and the first kickboxing drills I did were off those DVDs. So I owe, I owe a lot to Dwayne, you know. Um, but that, that's the truth of the matter. And after becoming head coach of, of Alpha Male, it's like TJ's, TJ's in my sights. And, <laughs> and I'm very competitive, you know. Like uh, 
and, and we were very competitive with, with each other, you know, and, and, and the other misconception is that I, I was TJ's trainer. I was never TJ's trainer. Me and TJ, we were uh, compatriots coming up, you know, like we were, I was in the UFC when he first walked in the gym and we, we became friends and we started training together and helping each other. And I'd corner him and he'd corner me, but I was never his trainer. He's not a world champion trained by me. Cody, what Cody was a world champion trainer. He was my student. I was his head coach. Uh, but going into the ultimate fighter, it was TJ had left the gym and I had cornered him and we were friends. But by the time the ultimate fighter came around, I showed up at the ultimate fighter. TJ showed up at the ultimate fighter and TJ was my enemy in my head. You know, I had Cody, the fight was signed, uh, all the other influences on me. And, you know, it was, as far as I was concerned, it was like, we're going to settle this fight between Cody and TJ, uh, between me and Dwayne and all that. And afterwards, we can be friends or we can not. But my professional career as head coach of this team means you are in my crosshairs, you know, period. And I put, I put uh, friendships onto the side of that. I put loyalty to martial arts instructors on the side, all to, to live into my job and be the best head coach I could be for Team Alphamil. And looking back, that was a mistake, you know. I should have never mix those friendships with what was business, you know, but for, but for me, it's not, it's not business. And I mean, it's all business. My life is MMA. This is what I do. So, you know, there, there was a, it, it must've been a surprising situation for TJ to show up at the ultimate fighter and have me act the way I did, you know, uh, all of a sudden I'm his enemy, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I got, I got a ton of respect for TJ because through everything, the dude was always just, he was just solid to me. And, there was an interview he did afterwards where he fought. And, and well, the thing too was this was, <laughs> I know TJ real well. And this could, this might sound bad, but I know TJ real well. I know what TJ is doing. I know what Dwayne's doing. Obviously we lived together. You know what I mean? Uh, I cornered him for more fights than Dwayne did. And my guy, Cody at the time, he's beaten TJ 10 out of 10 times. So I had that cocky attitude <laughs> going into the show as well. You know what I mean? But, uh, we we just never trained the same after after uh, after Dominic Cruz after Cody got the belt our relationship just continued to dissolve he didn't he didn't come to the gym uh, for a while because of uh, whatever's going on with his back or whatever the hell that was you know I don't really know what was going on there I, I can't get a, story, a straight story but uh, I stayed in the room and uh, worked with with all the fighters because as far as I was concerned, while, while Cody was out, he needed to come back to a world-class room. You know what I mean? Like that was the most important thing uh, to keep, to keep the team strong because strong team, strong fighter, you know? And uh, we, we just never had the same relationship after he, he beat Dominic Cruz. And, and I'm telling you, man, you, you, for these young fighters out there, like look at what happened to Mike Tyson. Like look at what happened to these great fighters. Like all this stuff is out there, man. Watch the Rocky movies. Be careful with who, you, who manages you. Power of attorney is an important thing, you know, watch this stuff and, and all this info is out there. Don't be fooled by like necklaces and shoes and stuff. That stuff doesn't mean crap if you're not winning, you know, you have to win and, and winning is done on the mat. And this is something I told Cody and every fighter. I said, the further, the, the, the bigger your career gets, the more everyone is going to try to, and everyone and everything is going to try to pull you away from that blue mat. We had a blue mat at the old gym and, and, I say every, the further you get away from the blue mat, the worse it is for, for your career, because that's where the real work to be a champion is done on that blue mat. You know what I mean? With your teammates, with your coaches, being in the gym training. Now, now I mean, you can think of it a lot of ways. 
you go do strength and conditioning at another gym. Is that bad? Not necessarily, but how far is it away from a real fight? Well, it's pretty damn far. Instead of doing real fighting stuff, you're pushing a sled. You know what I mean? You're like, uh, you got a football player telling you to shadow box. You know, this stuff just drives me crazy. But for young fighters out there, man, the work is done in the gym. Like Forrest Griffin had to get kicked out of the gym. The great fighters, and Forrest, I bring up Forrest Griffin because Forrest Griffin didn't have one-tenth of the talent that Cody did, you know? But he stayed in the gym nonstop, and he made up for it with hard work. And and, and that that's what I believe. I believe that. that that's why I love – that's another reason why I completely love MMA and combat sports because you could take a guy on paper who is not supposed to win at all. He has no chance. And with the right training and the right room and the right program, this fighter can come in there and put a master class on someone. You know, I mean, a, a perfect example is Buster Douglas and uh, – uh, Mike Tyson. That's impossible. It's impossible for Buster Douglas to win. He was like forty to one underdog or something like this. Something completely ridiculous. I don't even think that was a broad. The, the fight was broadcast. Yeah, I mean, the, it, his, his mother had passed away. That put this insane motivation into him, and and he was going after it. Meanwhile, Mike Tyson, by his own admission, was living like you know Caligula in uh, uh you know, and he he said that Caligula, the Roman emperor, and he said he was living like him in Japan, just women and debauchery and everything else. And, and when you do that, you know, that that's what a, a good training camp can do. You could beat Mike Tyson with Buster Douglas. And that's why I, I, I love the sport and I love training people because you, you can just take a guy like Darren Elkins. No one's talking about him being in the title, but last I cornered him, they sure as hell were. You know what I mean? It's like Taru. Taru Ishihara is no, I don't think he's in the UFC. I think he dropped three or four in a row. Yeah, I think so. You know? He just lost to Kyung Ho Kong a couple of weeks ago. By knockout in the first round. Yeah. In the first, what? And Kung's not oh, even a Kung's oh. not even a knockout guy. Exactly, exactly. That's and that just shows what 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 coaching can do. I mean, last I saw Ishihara, we were. Uh, he was a big prospect. You know, no, he was a huge prospect. He was a superstar. I mean, we we went to Utah. He knocked this kid out, and and you know his I love my bitches thing. He had he had eight girls. I used to I used to uh, I used to fight in Utah. I was the showdown champion, so I know Utah pretty well. I love Utah, but. Uh, Taru was in Utah. He took a picture, and there was it was him surrounded by like eight, eight like Utah babies. Yeah, Mormon women. <laughs> yeah. No, Jack Mormon. There's a difference. So a uh, Jack Mormon is a Mormon that went astray. You know, <laughs> it's it's a term over there. So uh, the the Mormons are are all good and goody two shoe. And then when they when they turn away and go and do you know see the world and do bad things, they're called Jack Mormons. So we had we had eight eight Jack Mormons in bed with him and took a picture. It went crazy viral. And this kid was a superstar, man. And he is a superstar in Japan. If you look at, you know, Japan, I think, I think per capita, Japan is like the hardest hitters with uh, Twitter, you know, more Japanese use Twitter than anything else there. And he has an insane following on Twitter. And, you know, the kid was a superstar. Next thing I know, you know, he's got his walking papers. He's losing by knockout. I remember him being a knockout. Well, when I trained him, he was, he was a knockout artist. The guy was a was a, a collegiate baseball player, and he had a left hand from hell. Like this guy could put anyone to sleep. And then next thing I know, he's suffered I think two or three knockout losses. He's out the UFC. I don't know. Yeah, I lost mean, to Kung by Salva. Got knocked out by Peter Yan, who's one of the top prospects. And then he yeah he lost three three out of his other four fights were a decision. He beat Rolando D. Yeah, his only win since uh, August 2016. So almost three years. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, so, when, so when when did you um were you cornering him against Artem against Lobov and against Gray Maynard? I did, I did. Were you out there for Artem? No, that was in, that was in Ireland. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. That was an awesome show. Yeah, uh, Taru came up short, but against against Artem, but he dropped him and he did everything that we trained to do. Uh, Taru did everything he. he sometimes you, the fighter can do everything you train them to do, and you can still lose the fight. And that was a perfect example. Yeah, that was his when first Artem loss in the UFC. Forward, yeah. Yeah. When, when Artem came forward, he was supposed to take Artem down. You know what I mean? When Artem came forward, hard, we were going to use our wrestling. And in the first round, that exact situation played out. Artem came forward and Taru took him down and then let him get up with no, you know, no cough. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves in MMA. Like sometimes you see a guy stumble or you catch a kick and the person falls and the other fighter lets them up. I'm like, oh my God, like you just had a takedown. You know how hard it is to get a takedown on a high level and get on top of someone and you just let that fighter stand up. Anyways, that happened in that fight. And I said this, I go, you know, martial arts, we got our 10. Martial arts, skills-wise, boxing-wise, uh, takedown-wise, fit-ins, uh, jiu-jitsu, we got Artem. We got this guy, you know. We'll just get Taru in, in great shape, stick to that plan, and he'll win the fight. But, uh, uh, you know, it, and I said this, if Taru connects, Artem's going to get put on his butt, you know. And that happened, too. Taru connected, sat him on his butt. But Artem, the, the thing that I didn't, didn't factor in in that fight was Artem's physicality, man. Artem's head is like the size of a damn ninja turtle, man. The guy is huge. <laughs> and he's very motivated and very driven to win fights, you know, and he knows what he lacks, say, uh, physically, like talent-wise. He's not really the fastest guy, and he's got short little T-Rex arms. Uh, but, you know, we, we, di we did our job martial arts-wise, but we still lost that fight, and that was, just, that was just a great lesson, you know. But I remember being at that fight, and Taru, Taru couldn't walk down the street. It was crazy. It was like Justin Bieber over there because the Irish fans are very, very knowledgeable. And after that fight, it was it was one of the coolest experience, even with taking the loss, you know, because it was a split decision, I believe. And and uh, I don't I'm not sure about that. It could have been unanimous. It was unanimous. It, wasn't, yeah. and it, it was unanimous. But Taru put him down, took him down, and you know he kind of just got out, outworked and out physicality. And then he he after that he dropped to or he fought Gray Maynard and then he dropped to uh, 35. Yeah, that's and right. Yeah, he went down to, to Bantam. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Justin. Well, I always appreciate your honesty. Uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll end up. We'll see what ends up happening with Alpha Male. But right now, it's uh, they're they're kind of at a low um, with uh, Cody's third straight loss. Yeah, it's unfortunate. All right, man. Well, best best uh, of luck with everything. So you've got uh, you've got uh, Figueredo coming up, and uh, and Cynthia Calvillo wants to wants to fight Tatiana Suarez, which is one one of the craziest callouts because nobody's ever called out Tatiana Suarez. Exactly. It's like, I don't know what these other fighters are doing. You want to get the belt or not, you know? And that was, that's with all due respect to uh, uh, Tatiana. And, and, and here's the thing. It's like, make the fight. Cynthia is going to step up. Cynthia is going to do what she needs to do to win that fight. And, and I, I truly believe that. I, I, think, uh, I think she's one of the best in the division. And I think this last fight, even though she didn't get a finish, uh, I, I think it, the, the experience she got sometimes, I mean, you have to build a fighter. In boxing, they don't just take someone with with six fights and put them in there with the best fighter they can or a top 10 fighter. Some like Floyd Mayweather got a silver medal in the Olympics and they, you know, everyone said he should have got the gold medal. His first fight, he fought a guy who was like four and six as a pro, you know, a guy who was four and six. And then he had a guy, they, then they, they vet these guys, they give them experience. And, and I feel like Cynthia's last fight was exactly that. She, she never had three rounds stand up fight, you know, uh, with no takedowns where she was forced to, to, to stand up and she did that. And she, you know, she passed the test. So wait till, uh, wait till she gets someone who wants to grapple with her, you know, and we'll see what happens. Cause, uh, 
she's 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 a she's a shark on the ground, you know. And are you cornering Figueredo against Formiga? No, I no. trained. Uh, I trained. Uh, I trained him for his fight against uh, who was the guy Moraga. Yeah, yeah. He came stateside, and I trained him for two weeks, and then uh, I got cut out of that corner. You know. Oh, like he did. He had, a, he had an. Yeah, but he had a he had an amazing performance. Yeah, we were we were training. I had my plane ticket to go corner him uh, for that fight, and we had worked out a deal. I was working out a Fabio Prado's gym, who who's a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. And uh, right before I was supposed to leave, I was told I wasn't supposed to go anymore. You know, no. so it, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting the politics here in Sacramento. But uh, you know, Cynthia is is uh, she she she's. It's it's early in the year, and uh, you know Cody Cody got a title shot without being a top ten ranked guy in one calendar year. You know four fights uh, culminating with the with the UFC world title, and we're only two months into this year. And Cynthia just got a PRP procedure on her shoulder yesterday, uh, so she has four weeks to recover from that. But hopefully after that, you know we could fight uh, Tatiana in eight weeks or or twelve weeks. You know. After after the four the four week re- re- rehab. Yeah, there was a rumor she was going to be fighting uh, uh, Nina Ansarov, but I guess that's not happening anymore because Nunez is off that card too. Man, that's what I was saying because because the, the originally they proposed a fight with Tatiana eight weeks from the date. I don't know when, when that is exactly, but uh, eight weeks from when uh, Cynthia called her out, and Cynthia had actually foregone uh, surgery recommended by the UFC on her shoulder for her uh, super. Spinatus uh, rotator cuff tear, mm-hmm. and she she didn't get the surgery, and and this was four weeks before she had to fight uh, uh, Casey uh, Courtney Casey, and she she turned the surgery she she stayed in the fight, didn't get the surgery recommended by uh, Dr. Davidson of the UFC, you know the, the the he's been there for fifteen years or something, you know, uh, he recommended surgery, she turned down the surgery to stay in the fight. And knowing that after the fight, we were at least going to get a PRP shot to deal with this injury, you know, but they wanted her to do a quick turnaround and uh, fight in eight weeks. And, and, you know, at that point she had already fought two times in three months and we just didn't want to, well, she wanted to, she was actually speaking with her manager, Danny Rubenstein. We were all on a conference call and, you know, she got real emotional trying to stay in that fight in eight weeks with Tatiana. She wanted it so bad. And, and it was up to me and Rubenstein to do our jobs as her head coach and manager to protect the fighter from themselves because I, we need a we need as close to 100% Cynthia Calvillo to fight someone like Tatiana. Yeah, for Tatiana sure. Is, uh, anybody is, is, against is, her would have to be 100% more close. Exactly. So so we we can't, the UFC wanted wanted that fight in uh, in eight weeks from her last fight, and we said we'll do it in 12 weeks. We'll do it June 8th. You know because four weeks for the PRP shot for rehabilitation. But the thing is, it could take four to six weeks. So we're still, you know, the odds are still not with us yeah. to be 100%. So is it's that fight booked? Six weeks. But, no, no, it's not booked. It's not booked. But that's what we said. We said, let's do it June 8th. We'll be ready June 8th. Let's uh, either that or give us uh, Claudia Gardella. If you want to have Nina Asmaroff or whoever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Her, her biggest, Nina Asmaroff fight, Tatiana, no one cares about that. They no one want to see that fight. Everybody wants to see Cynthia Calvillo versus Tatiana Suarez. And, and, and let's not make it a three-round fight. Nobody wants to see a wrestler try to hold down someone. Let's see a five-round fight, real deal. Let's get a finish. And let's make that the main event, you know? Main event or co-main event for five rounds. 
I mean, this is, this is 2019, you know, women rule the world. They're way better than men. That's what the media keeps telling me. So let's have them as the main event and, and do and do it up and do it right and have a real number one contender to challenge uh, Namajunas, uh, the winner of Namajunas and the little uh, pile driver. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. All right, Justin, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, no worries. That was Justin Buckles. He, he really tells it all uh, and has a lot to say about Team Alpha Male. And speaking of Team Alpha Male, we have uh, a fight that's apparently being targeted for UFC 237 that I just can't, simply cannot believe. BJ Penn versus Clay Guida in the works for UFC 237. Now, this is a fight that if you would have told me about it, you know, back in 2010, 2009, 2008, I would have been stoked for this fight. But with BJ Penn having last one against Matt Hughes in November 20th, 2010, nearly nine years ago, loser of six in a row, BJ loves doing this. And that's the part that I really like. I don't want to say anything bad about BJ Penn because he is a legend of this sport. And I'm fine with him doing this for as long as he wants to do it. He can fight in the UFC for as long as he wants, honestly. But, I mean, for consistency's sake with the UFC, it's very difficult to look at BJ Penn and his recent track record and say this, this makes a lot of sense. It just doesn't. It does not make a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, Clay Guida, I think, is a, a very, very talented guy. Always fun to watch. He's been uh, training a Team Alpha Male, I believe. I think he's still training a Team Alpha Male. But uh, he lost to uh, Charles Oliveira in June back in Chicago, his hometown, unfortunately, in very short order, two, two and a half minutes. But before that, I had one two in a row. Eric Koch and uh, Joe Lozon, two very good wins, including a TKO win for, Joe, for, uh, for Guido over Joe Lozon. And the last time he had won by TKO was back in 2018, or sorry, 2008, so very similar to Diego Sanchez, hadn't won by knockout. For him, it was uh, over nine years since he had last won. Uh, and uh, he finished, yeah, I think, about, was it over nine years? thing along those lines, yeah, over nine years between knockout victories for uh, Clay Guida. And him versus, you know, him versus BJ Penn, I'm not sure what we're going to see differently from BJ Penn that's going to, Convince us that he should still be in there. And I like BJ Penn a lot. I really do. As a, as a guy, as a fighter, he's a legend. And I like BJPenn.com and the folks that work there. So I'm really not trying to besmirch the name of BJ Penn. I just don't see it making a whole lot of sense for him to get back in there. That's all. He loves it, though. I, you know, I spoke to him before the Ryan Hall fight. And I said, you know, what, what's, what's keeping you, the, you going? Like, what, what keeps you doing this? And he said, I just love it. I love competing. There's nothing like it for me. And, you know, if he was getting brutally knocked out over and over and over again, then maybe you can say, like, that you shouldn't be doing this. But, I mean, he got knocked out by Yair Rodriguez and, and Frankie Edgar in back-to-back fights, but that's really the only significant damage he's taken in his career. That's it. Took a corner stoppage loss to, uh, to GSP. But look, other than that, I mean, just not a whole lot that you can you can look at BJ Penn and say... Like, this guy's taking too much damage because he's, he's very, you know, I've spoken to him many times. He's very coherent. He's fine. He's got one heck of a resume. He's a Hall of Famer. Not much more you can ask for for his career, but he just loves doing it. 
So that fight apparently is uh, in the works for UFC 237. BJ Penn versus Clay Guida. Ben, Penn trained at Novo Uniao for his last camp against Hall, so we'll see if he's still training out there. So uh, what else do we have here? There's some other news. Anthony Johnson wants to come out of retirement to fight John Jones at heavyweight. You know, I saw Anthony Johnson backstage, and he is gigantic. I don't mean that like he's been like eating too much, but man, he's he's got to weigh at least 280 pounds, at least. He's a, a mammoth individual right now. But uh, I'd love to see him come back, sure. I actually think that would be a pretty solid fight for John Jones if he was going to move up to heavyweight. But uh, that BJ Penn, yeah, that BJ Penn Clay Guida fight, you know, catches me by surprise. I really enjoyed uh, UFC 235. I hope you liked it too. I thought it was a really fun card, interesting card. A little bit of extra news: Mackenzie Dern pregnant. I think I, I think I spoke about this with James Lynch last week, but uh, she wants to come back in October. And uh, having seen my wife give birth to and raise children, that's a pretty ambitious goal to give birth in May and uh, come back in October. Mackenzie Dern kept that under wraps pretty well. I mean, she's seven months into her pregnancy and it didn't come out until last week. <laughs> she posts pictures on Instagram all the time. She's giving birth in two months. It's unbelievable. Kudos to Mackenzie Dern. I'm happy for her. I, I, you know, I wish her success. She's a very nice person. Had her on the show before. Interviewed her in person, and I, I like her. I think she's a very, very polite and a very, very, very talented fighter. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing her return. But I, I think, I think her return sometime this year is uh, very, very ambitious. Not just October, but anytime this year. So if she can do it, I'd color me impressed. Well, that'll do it for this week. Sure, we'll have a lot to discuss next week. It's still still picking up the pieces from UFC uh, 235 because there was a lot that happened. Did a lot of interviews, had a lot of fun down there. Always fun covering these events. I'll be at UFC 236 in Atlanta in April. Mm, greatly looking forward to that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, until then, hopefully a lot more UFC news to come. We also uh, found out that the PFL is coming to uh, the TSN, and they just announced their season one fighters. A lot of people returning from last season, namely Ray Cooper III, Magomed Magomed Karimov, talented guy, Vinny Magalyesh, just to name a few. And, of course, there's the uh, women's 155-pound tournament, and they said they haven't had a lot of trouble finding fighters, and that surprises me. Unless they did some sort of, like, open workouts where they just said, okay, you're in. But uh, if Kayla Harrison doesn't win that tournament, you know, without maybe getting injured or something, I'd be shocked. I would be shocked. Million dollars on the line in all these divisions. I can't wait to watch uh, watch this season. I loved last season. I really did. And I'm not just saying that because we, uh, we're going to be airing this season. I, I was saying it all, all throughout last year that I loved their format. I think that they have to make tweaks, though. I think that um, there were a lot of individuals that were, like, losing fights, making it to the tournament, and, you know that uh, probably didn't belong there. The seating seemed a little bit off to me. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks to Derek Lewis for joining us. Thanks to Justin Buckles for joining us. Joe is calling Glory in France this weekend, so make sure you check that out. Doombay in the main event. He's always fun to watch. And uh, Tiffany Van Seuss tries to win her belt back in the co-main event. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more TSN MMA Show.
Until then, enjoy UFC Fight Night in Wichita. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.